Anybody who wants to ask questions has to come up to the microphone there and introduce yourself by mentioning your name and limit your preamble to two seconds. <laughs> and uh, no big speech. This is the time for Jim Burns. Uh, so, anybody who would like to ask questions, please come to the microphone. Uh, Bev is already there, so line up over there. Thank you. Jim, please. Hi. I'm Bev Mundell-Atherstone. Thank you, Jim, for coming and speaking on this important topic. Um, I noticed you didn't differentiate between you didn't differentiate between the water that is needed in geothermal for electricity creation, which has to be at the, above the boiling level, and geothermal for houses, uh, just to heat houses, as we have in Lethbridge. So, uh, so my first question is: Would you do you think that the city of Lethbridge should have all new developments have geothermal in it for heating and cooling? That's question one. Question two is in relation to solar. Um, maybe you know that Nate <coughs> um, has a solar installation program, just in terms of your, your picture on solar. And it's fully subscribed this year because of people who've lost their jobs in the tar sands. Um, my question is, why, why did you say we shouldn't have solar on our roofs? Um, Henning and I have 24 panels in our garden. Um, they're on a 30-degree slope. They're facing south. And in the past two years, we've made more electricity than we use, and we send it to the grid, and we are part of the uh, Spark Cooperative. Well, thanks for those questions, Bev. I really appreciate those. Um, your, your first question with respect to the city of Lethbridge. Not only do I think that we should no longer be installing fossil fuel infrastructure to homes, I think that we should, in fact, yes, be, be putting in community-based, uh, ground-based heat pumps, right, to supply the community with, with hot water, uh, and, and that, that's what all ho new homes in Lethbridge should use for heating, and in summer for cooling, because we can distribute cooler water in summer, right? So definitely, I think that we should quit installing natural gas, uh, because natural gas... Natural gas has a, the same greenhouse gas footprint as coal because of all of the leakage that we get in the natural gas distribution system. It's a powerful greenhouse gas, and it, and it, it, you know, it causes many problems, and it's causing, you know, it's causing a lot of, of, of climate warming. Um, <coughs> so I, I agree. Let's not only, but let's not only do that. I was proposing, and I'm, I'm not, maybe I wasn't clear enough, my ground-based heat system in my house and I was proposing even that we retrofit many homes in southern Alberta with ground-based heat systems that are community-owned, you know, that are maybe a cooperative run by 50 or 100 or 200 homes. The scale of it exactly is open to question, but I was proposing that very thing for both new and old places. Um, so I think that's where we should be going very quickly and very efficiently. Now, with respect, I, you know, I mean, I probably suppressed the desire to give you and Henning both like the biggest hugs and kisses on the cheeks for having put in those solar panels. Um, and I really appreciate that you have them and you guys are leaders. And I really, really applaud that. You're in a bit of a unique situation. You do live on an acreage. You've got great unobstructed, you know, solar access to the south. Um, 
what I was saying is still in a solar cooperative, the installation cost for, you know, the installation cost in a solar cooperative is probably half what it would be to put it on your home or in your home for the average homeowner within the city. You know, most homeowners have smaller roofs. They can't, I mean, your installation, I think I've seen it from a bit of a distance, your installation is, is substantial, right? Much larger than almost any homeowner could fit in the city. So, you know, it's probably working for you, but a homeowner in the city that can only fit a limited number of panels, and then they go off to work or wherever they go during the day when their solar panels are generating at the best, so they sell it to grid at a fraction of the value that they could, if they could use it to save electricity instead. You know, uh, University of Lethbridge pays about 111 bucks a megawatt hour to buy electricity from the grid. If we were producing it, we can only sell it to the grid for 42 bucks. So your big benefit is being home. And again, you and Henning, I believe, are retired and you're probably home a lot more than the average, you know, people. You work from home now, you know. Not, not making a judgment anyway, just, you know. But right, you're home to use that electricity a lot more. Uh, I go off to work and I wouldn't use that electricity, so solar panels won't work on my home. And for, let's say, if I was going to put $20,000 into solar panels and end up with 8 kilowatt capacity on my roof in a solar cooperative on University of Lethbridge campus or the college campus or somewhere, you know, in the city, I could probably pay by twice the generation and sell it for more money to that agency that's using it, right, who would buy it so there'd be a saw-off. So economically, they're not, I'm not saying they're not justified, it's a much better economic and greenhouse gas-saving investment to buy into a solar cooperative. That's, that's the point, and, and I, hope, I hope that makes sense. And you know what, I can show you some numbers afterwards if you wanted to as well, because the, the numbers are definitely there. Uh, my name is Mark Gettle. I'm just wondering how deep, uh, on your residential geothermal, how deep does it go? And what is the temperature of the water when it comes up? And then how much power does it take to for your heat pump to then bring it up to the, the temperature that you want in your home? Yeah, um, my electrical bill is a little bit higher because I definitely running a heat pump takes more electricity. Uh, the heat coming out of the earth is around 10 degrees, 10 or 11 degrees. The, the, when you're using shallow, you know, heat-based, uh, gro essentially groundwater heat, you can pretty much count on that groundwater to be about the temperature, the same temperature as the average annual temperature in the location. So the average annual temperature in Lethbridge is about 9, 10 degrees, depending on what you look at. That's what my, that's what, what you know, the, the fluid, the groundwater mix below my house is at. And so when that stuff goes out and goes through those five wells that are each 200 feet deep, it probably leaves the house at minus 3, minus 4, minus 5 degrees Celsius. It goes through there, it's warmed up to about 10, comes in, the heat exchanger bumps it up to about 22 and puts the cold fluid back out and puts the heat into my house and uses the heat to heat my hot water and, and things like that. So yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, so if, you, if, if you're in a warmer climate, you'll get more heat, less, you know, less air conditioning. And I think I mentioned, but I, I'm gonna emphasize again, my air conditioning is brilliantly wonderful, clean. You know, there's no, there's no refrigerants leak in my air conditioning system. It's just nice, cool, Earth cool, we'll call it, right? And it's very inexpensive in summer to run. So anyway, yeah. Um, I'm Tony Pargeter, and thanks, Jim, for an interesting presentation. Um, you were focused on Alberta, and I was disappointed to hear that 
it's not hot enough underground for electricity generation through geothermal. But I'm wondering if there are, say, BC might offer areas that the Alberta oil industry might be interested in using their technology, they know how to drill holes, to uh, develop uh, geothermal for electricity generation. Do you see some potential there? And secondly, I, I've read a little about carbon dioxide plume geothermal. Um, in which you combine carbon capture and sequestration in using that as the, the fluid to um, uh, gather your geothermal heat. And is that something you see any potential for? Uh, the, the first question I can handle. The second one, I think probably I, I might you know, be able to, to, to do a little research and look at it at some point, but I'm not familiar with that particular technology you're talking about. Uh, but on the, first, on the first question, without a doubt, you know, the further west you go, the more you're, you're getting closer and closer to the plate boundary, right? Um, some of you may have seen recently there was a, a hoax went around that, that it, but it flew around the internet. It seems like actually the fastest way to have something go viral on the internet is say something that's absolutely untrue, and boy, that'll just fly through everybody's inboxes and Facebook pages and everywhere else, right? But a hoax went around the internet saying lots of little earthquakes on the west coast were about to have a Cascadia megathrust earthquake, which is a massive earthquake, and I teach about those earthquakes in one of my classes, uh, and Cascadia Megathrust, when that next one happens, and it will happen, every three to 500 years they happen. The last one was on July, June, January 26, 1700, okay? Would I know that if I didn't teach this stuff every year? Um, but, and so the next one's gonna be within 300, 500 years, it's coming soon. They're living with that risk on the west coast, so they might as well get some benefit out of all that damn heat that's underneath along that tectonic boundary, right? So get out there and drill, baby, drill for all of that hot water that's down below. And I'm sure there's, there's massive potential out on the West Coast that should be, you know, explored and utilized and, and, uh, and they're just not doing it, which is really sad. Is there any Calgary Energy Company interested in that, to your knowledge? You know, I... I yeah, 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 I'm trying to still stay charitable and kind. Um, I am really, really disappointed in our fossil fuel friends who continue to, to advocate for spending fortunes on new fossil fuel developments when they could be making just as much money or more and covering their own greenhouse gas butts and some of their pollution butts by investing in renewables. Uh, you know, I mean, with, with and I, I know the folks that work for them and they're nice folks, and they wish they would do more, but somewhere in the corporate structure, they're not doing it, and they're not putting the money into renewables, and it's, and it's hurting them, and it's hurting us. It's hurting all of us, so it's, yeah, it's sad. My name's Robert Smith. I would like to know what the payback times are for your home system or systems like yours and for the large system based on hot rocks. I'm sorry, can you repeat that? I didn't catch the... I'd like to know the payback times oh, for payback the two, times. Okay. two small yeah. scale and large scale. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the details of that at this point. Geothermal is argued by many of the proponents. You know, I'm looking at it as an academic and I haven't looked at all of the details. Uh, I provided those, that one set of numbers that say, you know, you can get a certain amount of very stable electricity out of geothermal, about five megawatts production, which ends up being about 40, thousand megawatt hours per year uh, you know for about 40 million dollars um, in terms of wind you can get about 90,000 megawatts for 40 million dollars but the wind isn't quite as stable so you know the payback on geothermal would be longer but it's also very stable and can probably fill in some gaps for us so you know 
it may be that we will need to go that route do in order to make sure we have a, a stable electrical supply. But there's lots of things to do to make a stable electrical supply besides building a whole lot of capacity. You know, we, we uh, uh, right now, again, we we're talking to the table, Alberta has about 16 gigawatts of capacity. We usually use about 9 to 11 gigawatts, is, you know, depending upon how we're doing. So, you know, we already have a, a substantial overbuild. We always have that to protect our system. So, you know, it, it may be that we'll, we'll build some geothermal or we'll build some other, you know, other renewable systems that provide uh, a stable system and might not have the paybacks that are quite as, as good. If you want big payback right away, wind is the cheapest. A, a windmill is your cheapest source of electricity right now uh, uh, that I know of on the planet. You know, so. Thank you very much, Professor Byrne. Uh, I'm possibly the only one in the crowd here that's a little negative, negative to your proposals because we've already got an existing, the largest layer of coal in North America that's already proven. If you read the news, up-to-date news, Saskatchewan so, sorry, Power. Frank, everybody sorry. knows your name, but uh, please mention your name, please. Yeah, but nobody can ask a question in two seconds, okay? Just okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what the hell we're hearing. This is Frank Todd. But by any the way. anyway, the negativity of it all that we, if if we had, if we don't have, we don't have your your artesian well kind of things uh, presently. A fact is that we've already got an answer. We're abrogating the, 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 the power of, of, of your students. If we asked them earlier to solve the problem with the coal production, generating production, they just saw, they did the Saskatchewan Power just installed their largest ever coal-fired generating plant, absolutely GH-free. All the state of Mississippi is installing the same. So what we, why are we abrogating this present knowledge today? Is a question, the second one is, have you heard of fusion? We're spending most of the billions on Earth on fusion right now, and that looks like another new type of uh, generating power. I'm sorry to be negative, but uh, I'm an ex-coal miner. And, and uh, we're going to throw away all this coal that's good for 20 generations. I, sir, I appreciate you sharing your opinion. I truly do. So thank you for that. Um, without a doubt, coal could last us for a long time. Uh, I think, I suspect your and my opinion is different. If we burn all that coal, we will end humanity as we know it because of what we will do to our atmosphere. So we just simply can't do it. The cost of coal-fired electricity is much too high when you look at all the environmental costs and the health costs. So we're not, we're not going to burn the coal. We cannot. It would be a disservice to all of my grandkids and all of your grandkids and most of society. Um, in terms of nuclear, I didn't mention nuclear. Uh, I was chairing a session at American Geophysical Union in December, and I had five of the best climate scientists in the world on my panel. And boy, did they have a bang-up discussion about next-generation nuclear. And you know what I said to them afterwards? I wrote to all of them. I said, okay, gang, let's, let's come up with a clear statement on what we all think about next-generation nuclear. Uh, and most of them said, it doesn't work. There's no operating protocol. We don't see nuclear functioning for us, really. 
the, the current cost of nuclear is extravagant and it's highly dangerous, and next generation nuclear, which will be less dangerous, is still just drawing board stuff. Nobody's built it, nobody's made it work. Uh, you know, they're, they're, I've, I've heard about one plant that might be functioning in, in Idaho, but really nothing to scale, nothing you know, meaningful. So I, I wish those sources, I'll go for any source that we can prove is environmentally reasonable, but coal and nuclear right now, I don't see that happening, and that's the opinion of my wonderful, brilliant colleagues in the American Geophysical Union by and large. Okay, so thank you. Uh, I'm Trevor Page. Jim, uh, a comment on a comment you just made on oil and gas companies getting into renewables, and then a question on geothermal. Um, I was in London last month and had the opportunity to sit around the kitchen table with a family friend who is a senior executive of Shell in their headquarters. And we covered the whole gambit of oil and gas, including prices. And he said that environmentalists have just got to get used to the fact that oil and gas companies, of course he was just talking for Shell, are not going to get into renewables. They don't have the expertise. It was as simple as that. Uh, on geothermal, I remember your last presentation on that, which my sense of things, it was around 10 years ago, and I seem to recognize one of the slides of your house. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I wonder since then whether there's been any pickup in Lethbridge on doing what you advocate, and if so, how much? Um, a comment back with respect to the oil industry. I don't. I don't get that. It, you know, renewables are not complex technology. You know, we've got wonderful engineers here in Lethbridge can design you, you know, gigawatts of, of renewable electricity, and it would buy oil companies and ga you know gas companies. It would really buy them massive amounts of goodwill. Plus, they'd own a huge part of our electrical system, and they'd be making profits. So, so. Well, you know, I mean, you know, so, so, yeah. I always, you know, I used to do a lot of work in the oil sands, and I was, um, people used to ask me what the different executives were from the different oil companies, what they were like. And uh, the way I described Shell was I said, you know, <coughs> imagine it's 1130 on a Saturday night, and you're driving along in a country road, and your car stops. But you see some lights just up ahead, and you go walking up, and it's a biker bar. So you got to use the phone. You go in to use the biker bar, and as you walk through the biker bar, Imagine all of the bikers looking at you are oil company executives. Well, the guy who was smiling at me was always like the executive at Shell. But I was never sure if that was a good thing that that guy is smiling or a bad thing that that guy was smiling, okay? So, um, so Shell always perplexed, perplexed me more than most. They gave a lot of lip service to things, but they seemed to do some of the least in, in, you know, as, as, a, as a global corporation. Um, in terms of uptake on, on ground-based heat pumps, uh, I looked at some statistics nationally. It actually peaked around 2009, 2010, and it's back down a little bit. Uh, and I think that's a, a symptom of, you know, of the technology. is still fairly expensive up front. It's a symptom of people not understanding. I had a colleague tell me that I can't afford, uh, over in the new green subdivision on the west side, is geothermal going to cost me seven extra thousand dollars, Jim? I can't afford it. I couldn't afford it because seven thousand dollars more in my house, I just couldn't afford. And I said, well, 
but the natural gas bill that you would save every month would pay the mortgage on twenty or twenty-five thousand dollars. So your mortgage actually would have been cheaper with putting in a ground-based heat pump. And the person just sort of went, ah, where were you when I was doing this? So there's a real lack of understanding of what the technology can and cannot do. Is there any uptake in Lethbridge that you're aware of since your presentation I 10 years ago? <laughs> I, I actually don't keep track of my own influence okay. on people on a day-to-day -day basis, yeah. Um, I mean, you, you know who you could ask? Ask Rudy at, uh, at Energy Smart Canada. I think he says that a lot of people who've called me and I told them it was pretty good technology that they built, but he would know me, perhaps, yeah. Douglas Mitchell. Jim, I'd like to switch gears a little bit and say that my wife is always concerned that she comes out of these meetings at SACBA very often with lots of uh, suggestions of proposals on what is the good thing to do and the right thing to do. And uh, many of us, those of us who are interested in environmental questions, uh, are aware of most of these. And I would like to ask you, as a university professor, and uh, remembering that implementation is what really matters, and there we're at the whims of the federal government, the provincial government, the large corporations who are running the show, and uh, how are we going to persuade them? And, uh, and you as a university professor, the base of all of this is research and advancing knowledge in these areas, and I would question the role, I'd just ask you, how do you feel, what do you feel the role of the universities and the colleges should be in moving the agenda forward and promoting things so that uh, the, the people that make the decisions do make the right decisions? Well, I, I like that question. Thank you very much. Uh, without a doubt, you know what? First of all, the university and college should be leading the way. Instead of making decisions based upon just literally minimizing our costs and maximizing our return, we should be leading the way we should be. Putting the technology on campus, we should be green. On the at, the, at the University of Lethbridge and on the college campus. We should be green now, and it should be research programs that are monitoring all of that green hardware and software and showing how it works and how to make it work better. Um, you know, and that's, that's something I'd like to see as soon as possible. I'm only speaking on behalf of Jim Byrne, professor, University of Lethbridge, as a researcher. You know, uh, last time I checked, I don't sign the checks at University of Lethbridge. I just receive one every month and would like to continue doing that. Um, <laughs> so the, uh, 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 but I do have tenure and I can speak out you know, about these things and I will speak out about these things. Um, in terms of implementation, and, and forgive me if I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm gonna be overly blunt. Uh, I wasn't kidding earlier when I said I want your money. Literally, we want to set up um, a renewable energy cooperative which sells energy, puts, puts solar panels and possibly wind operations at locations where users are so that you know, they can buy the electricity directly from the co-op. I mean, what do you pay for electricity? Around 15 cents a kilowatt hour probably, right? And a lot of that's grid costs and some of it's energy costs. <coughs> so, you, so you build, well, if, if somebody's paying seven, it's because you're not paying grid costs because nobody pays just seven, okay? Electricity, you gotta pay the grid costs and the energy costs. So most of us as individuals are playing, you know, 13, 14, 15. The university spends about 11 cents a kilowatt hour, right, to buy that stuff. Um, 
And so I want people to invest in renewable energy co-ops in places where people are using electricity between 8 o'clock and 5 o'clock. The downtown, we should start to cover rooftops and parking lots with solar panels and sell it to the locals and save them money and make more money. As I said to Bev, if I could take Bev's panels and move them downtown, I think I could probably make her a little bit more money, okay? Um, you know, you and Henning decide, I'll come with the truck later today, um, okay? Um, right, and, and uh, you know, so that's something. I, I do, I want you to invest. I wanna set up a legal cooperative, an investment cooperative that can take your money because we all need to speak. And you know what? I'll be the first one to dump all my RSPs into it, okay, as soon as we've got that set up. Because uh, I believe in it, and I believe we have to do it for a whole variety of reasons, but I also believe it will pay. It will pay us back handsomely, richly overall, because you know we'll be saving a whole lot of money. There'll have to be some adjustments. The grid has to make the adjustment, but right now, we're allowed to do that, and I don't see any change coming in our legislation. So thank you very much for that question. I hope that answered your question. And Cosmos is standing right there. I know he probably wants to get his money invested in this stuff right away. So, <laughs> Cosmos. Thank you, Jim. My name is Cosmos Bucinos. Uh, I'm interested in your cooperative, actually. And, but before I get to that, I want to thank you for the presentation. And I have a present for you, a study by the Association of Professional Engineers of Ontario on the Ontario scene of renewables, where they say why and how their electricity has doubled in eight years. But that's another story, I'll present it. My question to you is this. For the cooperatives, it's a very good idea. What are you gonna do different than cooperatives in Germany, in England, France, across the border, Idaho, that have lost their shirts and they take the cooperative people to court for, because they have lost their money. What are you gonna do different to make sure that it works? And then I have to invest, and I, 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 then I invest with you. Okay, okay. No, I, I, no, I appreciate that because I've had my eye on Cosmos Cash for quite a while. So you know, we're gonna, we're gonna work this out somehow. Um, no, okay. Uh, in, in, with respect to your first, I'm gonna respond to your comment about Ontario. Thank you for that. Without a doubt, Ontario struck out, and they're leading the way. And Ontario's paid some of the prices for leading the way. And I admire them. I appreciate them. They've, they've probably made it much more effective for us here in Alberta because there's a whole lot of engineers down there understand what went right and what went wrong. But Ontario's also, anybody who's lived in Ontario, I have, any others have lived in Ontario? Remember how hazy, smoky, uh, you know, just the solar capacity in Ontario is much lower than it is here. Wind capacity in Ontario is much lower than it is here. Um, and, you know, they're, 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 they went into it too quickly and they bought into too many contracts and they, and they put in too many incentives. We don't need that. You know, and I believe we're, we're gonna working out a business plan that'll just make this go, and everybody will see the business plan. And uh, you know, so, I, so I think the cooperatives are, are gonna work very well here in Southern Alberta. Uh, but you know what? We have to make it work. We have to experiment. And it could bomb without a doubt. So maybe don't be like me, don't throw all your RSPs into it. But you know, I really think that we, you know, we need to do it there's a health imperative, there's a political imperative, there's an environmental imperative. We just, we just have to do it. Uh, and it's, it's a really good idea. This will be the last question. <coughs> thanks, Tad. Mary Shillington, uh, thanks, Jim, for coming today. I remember when you came uh, to the environmental series at uh, McKillop United Church, and you spoke about how it would be helpful 
uh, uh, for McKillop to use uh, geothermal. Uh, so thinking about the new energy policy, how, what would you recommend so that here in Lethbridge, public buildings uh, or churches or whatever could have an incentive to move that way? What kinds of things would you say need to happen? Well, um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a geoscientist, right? Uh, and so uh, it, it gets a little trickier as I, s the farther I stray into economic policy, the, the trickier it gets. Um, but I would, I would think that literally, I mean, McKillop might be one of the places, depending upon McKillop's energy demands, might be one of the places to put a, a first small energy cooperative where, you know, even the church members could buy into that energy cooperative, help pay for it, and, and you know, we could, we could at least run the numbers and see if that might work, right? And that, that would be a very small scale cooperative, but we could definitely look at putting in a geothermal system, or you know, really a ground-based heat pump system, and some solar panels excuse me, from McKillop United Church or from many others. Um, on a broader scale, I see the cooperative happening at, I mean, everybody who uses a lot of electricity during the day, and McKillop actually isn't set up that well for that, right? McKillop's really busy on Sunday morning, but, <coughs> yeah, and evening, okay, well, you know. Um, but, but the schools, the hospitals, the college, the university, the industrial area are all using electricity intensively from 8 o'clock in the morning until 5 o'clock at night. That's where we want to put our cooperatives, where we're going to get a big return because they don't want to pay 14 cents, 15 cents, maybe 13 cents if they got a good deal per kilowatt hour. We can install the panels and sell it to them for 11 and still be selling it, you know, getting a lot more value out of than selling it onto the grid generally. So that's, that's, it's already there in terms of we don't need any regulatory change. We don't need anything except we do need to, you know, get it by the, the, uh, that, you know, we do need to have the regulator approve it, but actually, Jeff and I just went to a, a, a forum recently in Calgary with a, a lot of really high-priced lawyers who were hosted us for free and even bought us a drink, and they told us that we can do this up to a 10 megawatt installation, and there's virtually, if, if the primary user is, if it's going on their property, there's virtually no regulation. You know, we can go ahead and install it. So, you know, I think the things are in place. Could something get in our way? You bet. We'll deal with that when we find it. So, and I thank you very much, Jim. Thank you. Excellent, as usual. And thank you for coming.